You couldn't have paid me a million dollars a year to do something different. Why does consciousness exist in the first place? Forgiveness and reconciliation takes strength. It was a bit of a culture shock when I hit Sydney. We hope the truth will out. Welcome to Life and Faith from the Centre for Public Christianity. I'm Simon Smart. I'm Justine Toe. And I'm Natasha Moore. This is our final episode of 2022. Things are winding down, or at least in theory. And it's that time of year when you do things that you only ever do at this time of year. Like, what do you guys do? Uh, Well, like attempt to build a gingerbread house and then (laughs) go on to banish the kids from eating it and put it all in the bin. <laughs> I only do that once goes? a year. Well, that sounds like so much fun. <laughs> I feel a lot of it's about the food. That's true. I feel like I only eat turkey and ham, you know, Christmas. I mean, I call it Christmas ham, right? Can you buy it at other times of year? Presumably <laughs> pigs are available at other no, times. No, that's right. Actually, I wonder if also the after lunch coma kind of feels mm. like tradition <laughs> rather than a once a oh, year I totally overindulge and that was terrible yeah that's yeah. a tradition I'm down with for sure <laughs> yeah what about you Simon uh no not original things but you know the tree and and uh all that and Christmas for us is pretty traditional like we go for the traditional really serious baked food <laughs> you know it's the very northern hemisphere experience yeah now, it seems that so much of the magic of Christmas comes from repeating things, those rituals, the things that we, we think are special because we do them at Christmas. Now, one of these traditions is the Christmas movie. Now, it's hotly debated, actually, what counts for a Christmas movie and what doesn't. You do both have Christmas movies you watch every year, don't you? Mm. Um, well, traditionally, my family does. We watch Love Actually. We watch mm-hmm. it on tree day or thereabout, which is when we put up the Christmas tree and while we're making rumbles often. But that's kind of changed a bit in recent years because my niece and nephew got a bit older and it's not it's not appropriate. It's not um, <laughs> it was fine no. when they were babies, but <laughs> it doesn't that's go over sure. their head now. And it's kind of become more problematic over the years anyway, Love Actually. Yeah, like, once you start to drill down into each of those relationships, you you know that there's something seriously the power wrong going on. Yeah. yeah. And I especially don't like that um, moment. Well, actually, I, I don't like it now, but there was probably a time when I, when I thought it was quite romantic where this guy has fallen in love with Kira Knightley, who's just married his best friend, and um, he's so weird around her, but he eventually tells her through cue cards that he'll love her forever and because it's Christmas, you know, he needs to tell her the truth and so on. Mm. He'll yeah, love it's a her classic forever. romantic comedy scene. Yeah, and he'll never make a move on her and all this. And the way that she looks at him, you're almost like, are they going to have an affair in the next couple of years or something? <laughs> but it's it's supposed to be this really romantic moment that it's this grand gesture. But I look at it now and I'm like, that's really emotionally manipulative and it's kind of selfish. It's like you and can unhelpful. keep it to yourself, surely. Mm. So, well, he's um, been trying that, to be fair, but yes. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Not defending. I have to admit, I can't get Lindy West out of my mind. She wrote this very epic kind of screed about how much she hated this film. It's very funny to read. But she says that this particular scene spawns, this is her words, spawns a decade of nice guy emotional manipulation reframed as romance, and Kira Knightley kisses him for it. So... Yeah, I did not. I did not really like. Seems that. like there's a lot of things these days. Songs you used to listen to, films you used to watch that are no longer appropriate. 
But then, I mean, I do think it was funny because when I saw the Ted Lasso Christmas episode uh, last year, they kind of riff off that Love Actually scene. So Roy Kent has a niece called Phoebe and she's been teased by a boy at her school because she's got bad breath. So um, Roy and Keeley kind of door knock London to find a dentist to sort this out. And when, when they finally do that, they turn up at the boy's doorstep with these cue cards and she basically tells him, Bernard, you hurt my feelings. Shame on you. A nice dentist has helped me out and it will fix my stinky breath. But unless you make amends, you will stink forever. <laughs> you know? But then she's like, I forgive you, but please do better. Merry Christmas. And by some weird Christmas miracle, it's redeemed that scene for me because it's yeah. about holding someone to account for their poor behavior, but nonetheless being like, I forgive you and it would be good if you could change a little well, bit. Well, and it's interesting how that scene is so branded in kind of the collective cultural consciousness now yes. that people can riff off that scene. There are all kinds of skits. I know. I watched a couple this morning. It was stuff, fantastic. Which plays into the, you know, Christmas is about the ritual and repetition and some things enter the canon yeah. of like this is the benchmark Christmas movie and everything else riffs off it. Do you have one, Simon? You don't really watch Christmas no, movies. I'm not really a Christmas movie person, but I was, I was thinking about this earlier and one thing we do now, every year, at least on the 21st of December, along with many other people. So my kids and I will listen to the Paul Kelly song, How to Make Gravy, uh, which is a kind of a Christmas song. People have gravy day now and they wear the T-shirts and play the song. And yeah, this is I the have, first I feel like I've this, heard of it. <laughs> this was like reported a lot like last year or the year before and I was like, what are you talking about? I've never yeah, heard of this song. It's a beautiful um, song of Paul Kelly's. That tells a story that actually this story is going to be made into a Christmas film next year. So on on twenty first of December oh, next year, come out. It? So I'm booking that one in. I think it'll be good. But <laughs> um, no, it's it's a story of a guy who's in jail and he's calling his brother about Christmas and he's thinking about what he's going to miss out on on Christmas Day as all the family travels in from all over the country to be together. And that there's this there's no chorus, but there's this line: "Who's going to make the gravy?" He's obviously the gravy guy. And it's a it's a song mm. of real longing and beauty, and you're thinking about loss, yeah, very and, sad, but also joy. It's a it's a really poignant song. I love that one. Which yeah, is wow. more depth than a lot of Christmas movies, a lot of Hallmark movies. That's fair movies, to say, so. though. But what does count for a Christmas <laughs> movie these days? Mm. Well, <laughs> are you ready? Um, I don't know. I have to admit, I'm I prefer the kind of Christmas movie where Christmas is kind of in the background. So mm. I, w I guess you could say Die Hard qualifies mm. for that. But even something like Silver Linings Playbook, where Christmas has no direct bearing on the film, but it's just there and you might see some tinsel. I mean, it lights beautifully, the lights. And so um, therefore you might want to watch good. it. Yeah, that could be the sort of thing you'd watch on, on a Christmas day well, or around Christmas time. In a way, but I think often these films, like if you think about it, they're about messed up people trying to grapple with the possibility of change in some ways, or, or the possibility of grace, maybe, I don't know. And it's like, we want communion, we want relationship, we want things to be restored, even when it's difficult. Like, I think that's probably true of Die Hard. He wants to be with his family, he wants to be with his wife. <laughs> yeah, um, it's reconciliation. And, yeah. yeah. Like, there's so, something I mean, there. But I have to admit, though, by that measure, every movie is a Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about the background thing. Like, because Emma has Christmas in it. Does it? But... Yeah, there's some yeah. Christmas, you know, um, Mr. Elton proposes to her at, at like a, after a oh, Christmas party. Yeah. But I feel as though maybe if it features Christmas, that's not enough. 
maybe here's here's my line in the sand. I feel like the climax has to happen at Christmas. So I was thinking about while you were sleeping because it occurred to me recently that while you were sleeping, which is that like '90s rom com with Sandra Bullock and Bill I loved Pullman, it. Absolutely obsessed. With I mean, it I haven't I rewatched younger. it. Maybe Justine, it I reckon it holds the test up. Of time. <laughs> <laughs> but it actually happens at Christmas. But I feel like the climax of the movie happens like afterwards, and so I'm not sure it really qualifies as a Christmas movie. It has to be like, oh, it's Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Remind me of the setup. Resolved. So while you were sleeping is Sandra. Bullock um, works at a train station um, and she's like in love at a distance with this guy who gets the train every day and has no idea who she is and he falls onto the tracks and she like rescues him, saves his life, but he's in a coma. Um, and there's a kind of mix up at the hospital that she doesn't exactly correct. So suddenly his whole family thinks that she's his fiance who they've never heard of or met. Um, and so he's in his coma. She hangs out with their family. She doesn't really have anyone in her life and she kind of falls in love with his family and eventually kind of his brother. Um, and he wakes up and of course they think he has amnesia because he doesn't remember her. Well, you know, this (laughs) happened to a friend. This actually happened to a friend of mine. Which part? So a friend of mine is going on his first date with a girl he'd met at a wedding and he'd asked her out. They're going out for dinner. They parked the car, started walking to a restaurant. He then went, oh, I forgot my wallet, turned around to run back to cross the road, gets hit by a car, like really hard. His shoes were left on the road as he went sort of hurtling through the air. He ends up being rushed to hospital. She's there with him, hardly knows him. She's just really met him. And he's got head injuries, he's got a coma. And she's sitting there as the oh rest of the family. Did this happen this before? Yeah, what year? What <laughs> year is this? Been, it would have been the 90s. Um, anyway, wow. he, he's in a coma. She's where with the family are coming in and who are you? And, and she's having to introduce herself. <laughs> anyway, he recovers eventually, <gasps> happily, and they get married. Oh, that's a real life <laughs> rom-com. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> so it's interesting while you guys are talking about those movies, they're all quite old now. Uh, it seems that it's perhaps rare that a new film is added to the canon of Christmas classics. There's a couple of new contenders every year. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about a couple of those. Violent Night, which is out in cinemas at the moment. Now, Natasha, you've been to see this. And Spirited, yep. which I think we've all seen, which is a riff on A Christmas Carol. It's got Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell in it. It's on Apple TV. So... We're going to decide here today, do these measure up as classic Christmas movies? And also, how do we measure them against the original Christmas story? What kind of Christmas are they offering us or trying to win us over to? You ain't driving, are you? I steer a little, but the reindeer do my sword. (laughs) This is my fourth year at the center. How about you? I started the whole damn thing. We decided that you could have one gift. Early. What is it? That is a direct hotline of Santa Claus himself. I can talk to Santa. All right, revelers. Welcome to your worst Christmas ever. Let's go! You have $300 million in your personal vault. That's what I want for Christmas. (laughs) 
Who is he? Because it's not your typical mall Santa. Santa, are you there? Daddy said you were very busy tonight. My name is Trudy Lightstone. Are you gonna help us, Santa? Yeah, Trudy. Santa? No, my nice list. Santa Claus is coming to town. These bad men, they're all on my naughty list. Naughty. That's naughty! And what do you do to the naughty ones? I give them a lump of coal. Where is it? I gotta watch. Ah! I believe in you, Santa. That's the trailer from Violent Night, which stars David Harbour, who plays Hopper in Stranger Things. You might know him from that. And he's playing a jaded Santa who's pretty cynical about his job these days. And while he's delivering presents on Christmas Eve, he stumbles into a hostage situation where there's a group of mercenaries who are trying to steal $300 million from the vault of a wealthy family. Now, what follows evidently is a kind of diehard action movie where Santa's picking off the mercenaries one by one, often using Christmas-themed weapons like a Christmas star or a candy cane that's been sucked to the point of a sharp knife. Now, Natasha, you've been to the movies to see this. What did you think? Um, I was very excited about this film. I thought the trailer was amazing. Um, I thought the movie was good. I'm not sure it lived up to what I was hoping it would be, but David Harbour was excellent. He was a great Santa and it did have, yeah, it did have a lot of hilarious moments. I should say some of my hesitancy about it is that it was very violent and I know that it's called Violet Night, and so you know it does what it says on the tin. I suppose I You've just to deliver. I kind yep. of maybe wasn't expecting quite the level of gore, and it was probably a bit yep. much for so me. You're not necessarily recommending this for the Christmas family lunch. I'm not. No, 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 no. Definitely do not take your children <laughs> to see this movie, <laughs> please. So, what kind of version of Christmas is it going mm. with? Like Santa's the ultimate good guy. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, he's a bad Santa at the start. I mean, maybe he used to be a good Santa, but like the opening scene, he's in a bar and he's like quite drunk and ranting about how kids these days, you know, only care about the presents and they just want their video games and it's all transactional. And so he's kind of going through the motions, but is really disillusioned with the whole thing. But then that is merged with this gritty, gory heist movie. (laughs) sort of but even that is kind of very Christmassy so like the bad guy they were all using code names for the evening so he's Mr. Scrooge um, and he's got you know gingerbread and candy cane and stuff he's like various henchmen and women but also he's got like a Christmas themed origin story as a villain like you know when he was a kid he loved Christmas and then one year his dad got laid off and they didn't have anything for Christmas and it's kind of it starts him off in his life of crime and you know, disillusionment. This is why he's on the naughty Mm. list now, Santa's naughty list. Um, So they really do go hard on both the hardcore action and the Christmas theming, which is a bit kind of discombobulating really. (laughs) Is there a way you would describe what they're doing here with Christmas and this genre? Mm. I wonder if, I mean, in some ways it's just a bit of fun, right, bringing together these two quite disjunctive genres like it makes your head spin and is quite like there are some comedy moments to that but is it trying to marry 
the seriousness of real life and terrible things that happen in the world with that kind of sometimes quite saccharine and maybe a bit empty, upbeat, Christmassy cheer, um, which, you know, from the perspective of the actual original Christmas story, you want to marry those two things, that the joy and the peace is real and it's real in a very kind of dangerous and dark world. So, you know, the story after Christmas where, like, King Herod wants to kill the baby Jesus, um, this child promised as king of the Jews, and so he goes and kills a whole bunch of under two-year-olds. That doesn't feature very much in Christmas cards and things, the massacre of the innocents. I think maybe I'm, like, over-reading into it <laughs> on this, <laughs> but I do feel as though there's a kind of effort to ground the sugary Christmas fair and be like, okay, what would it mean to actually believe in some kind of Christmas magic and what would that do for people? What does it do with the naughty nice thing? Because that's a big part of the Christmas mythos. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? In some ways, what the Santa theme has become in our Christmas culture is the opposite of the original Christmas story because it's like a, a naughty nice have you been good? You'll get presents if you've earned them, mm. if you deserve them, as opposed to the Christmas story is this radical undeserved gift, this grace of like the world is really dark and has rejected God, but God's going to come and like give of himself um, and become human in spite of, you know, us not deserving that at all. Actually, as we were leaving the cinema, there was like this thing on the wall, this kind of neon sign where you could press a button and it would alternate between naughty, nice, naughty, nice, naughty, nice, and slow down and give you one. Like, which one are you? Which I was a bit like, oh, how interesting. Like, I wonder how that's going with children and parents. Oh. If like, <laughs> because it's a parenting tool, right? Do you use this, Justine? I don't know if you do Santa with your kids. <laughs> we definitely don't do the naughty, mm. nice thing because that seems to... Um, sum up one person. Well, it sums up people's mm. character in that one yeah, thing. Like, there's true. a real emphasis these days on. That's naughty behaviour, not that you're naughty. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So in Violent Night, you know, Santa has this kind of like holographic list that he can check and obviously Trudy, the little girl, she's nice. She's like lovely and, and not like all those other kids who are kind of grubbing for presents. She just wants her parents to get back together, whereas all the bad guys are on naughty. the naughty list yeah. and there's no redeeming that you know mm. there's no question of maybe they could transfer to the nice list I mean, no they are you know to be defeated eliminated that's all this is life and faith and justine and tasha and i are talking about christmas movies well, that was Violent Night, which is out in cinemas at the moment. Another Christmas film this year is Spirited, which is an update in the form of a musical of Charles Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol. There are lots of versions of this and remakes of this. Justine, you've seen this. I think we've all seen this one. Tell us the kind of the plot. Yeah, well, it's a remake of A Christmas Carol. So this is the whole thing of uh, Scrooge, this nasty guy who uh, is visited by the ghosts of Christmas past, present and future. Although in this film, it's the ghost of Christmas yet to come. Uh, and they're visiting this guy played by Ryan Reynolds. His name is Clint and he's... Uh, someone who kind of whips up uh, nastiness for a living and they're there to try and change him for the better, that he's someone they can work with, he's someone in need of redeeming and redeeming is the language they use. Um, but this 
film is a slight departure from those other Christmas Carol remakes in that it also puts Will Ferrell's character, who's the ghost of Christmas present, kind of on the same level as Clint in some ways. So Will Ferrell's character is also kind of toying with this idea, who is redeemable? Am I redeemable? Which is a really different kind of spin, I reckon, on on the whole genre. On a bitter, cold Christmas Eve, one dark soul is selected for redemption by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and yet to come. A tradition that continues to this very night. Like a Christmas carol? Yes, yes, if you would just let me get this out, sit. So out of all the people on the planet, murderers, people who do gender reveal parties, I'm the guy you're gonna haunt. You know what, forget it. I told you, the guy is a level 20 pain in the dickens. Come on, I can take this guy. I'm your ghost of Christmas present. La 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 la, I'm not watching your dramatic re-encrapment. Hey, I'm haunting you. You can't just run away from me when I'm haunting you. Hello? I believe he can be a positive force for mankind. People don't change. We got a runner! That's just fun to watch. I'm here to change him to being a more positive force for humanity. <laughs> Clint. <laughs> Clint. Yeah. <laughs> where real change begins. Now, I really like Ryan Reynolds. I'm a bit of a fan, I think, particularly since watching Welcome to Wrexham, which is the documentary um, that came out this year about Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney buying like a football team in Wales. That was one of my favourite shows this year, so I was quite keen for this movie, and I did enjoy it. You guys, what were your thoughts? I kind of made you watch it. Yeah, look, I... That style of film, not really my cup of tea, but I don't want to be the <laughs> Grinch about this. There were some some good bits in it and, this, you know, it's obviously using a very well-worn mm-hmm. setup and that was great. And and there, there's some bits to talk about in this for sure. Yeah. I um, say to Simon that it was better than I thought, which is like um, damning it with faint praise, isn't it? Anyway, so yeah, I, I but I did enjoy it and I might have shed a tear at one point Ooh, or two. Oh, really, Justine? Yeah. Yeah. Got to yeah. you. Pulled at the heartstrings. Yep. We all sometimes get a tear, even in corny, silly <laughs> films. And yeah, maybe this is one of those. I quite enjoyed the setup of this, though. That there's this business, like this annual thing, like a Christmas carol happens every year. That there's this whole kind of support staff of ghosts who are picking a person each year. Who, if if they became a redeemed person instead of a jerk, then that would have ripple effects and like make the world a better place because they have these negative effects on the people around them. And let's turn that to something positive. So they do that once a year on Christmas. And I quite liked that premise and they had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was quite funny and quite self-aware, like all the jokes about um, you know, the afterlife being a musical. and Yeah, I like the jokes about it being a musical because, you know, I was sort of sharing the, the humor of that, but they, they did, in that sense, didn't take itself too seriously, which was, was good. And, and the, some of those things are really interesting, the, the ripple effect idea that you can do 
small nasty things that have really serious, you know, ripple mm. effects, as well as, you know, you can reverse that. with. And it's this call to a, a kind of kinder, more thoughtful engagement with each other. It's probably good for more of that. I did wonder about that theme in terms of if they're doing it for the ripple effects, which was kind of the suggestion of some of the songs, is that kind of treating people as sort of instrumental? Like rather than we care about this person, we want them to be redeemed, to be transformed into a better person. It's like, oh, how can we access some other outcome through them? Do you know what I mean? I think that would be a negative take on that. <laughs> but you have to remember, like the ghost of Christmas present, Will Ferrell, he is grappling with that himself, right? So it's almost as though, and maybe you could argue that this is instrumentalizing the Clint character, the Ryan Reynolds character, that he needs Ryan Reynolds to be able mm. to be changed because otherwise does that mean his own change wasn't real? Um, and I did find that unredeemable song where there's a real sense of, like, let me read you some lyrics. Am I forever unredeemable? Can I ever overcome all the wrongs I'm running from? Do I deserve to find there's a soul who could see any good in me? Like, Ooh, this is the kind yeah, of... Yeah, am I someone someone could forgive? Like, I know. This is very the stuff that you think about when in the middle of the night, right, where you're, you're kind of, all everything's quiet and you're suddenly just faced with, you know, who you are and what you might have done and being like... Is this what it is for me or is it all well, over? surprising for me was that it picked up on this theme of feeling guilt and needing redemption, mm. which, which I've kind of said lately in various places that there's less of that now. People are less sort of guilty. They feel anxious about things. But, but this really picks up on a very traditional notion of needing redemption because you've done things that can't be made you can't make mm. up for them and you where we search for something to to help us do that yeah maybe the christmas movie simon is where redemption as a theme has migrated to <laughs> i mean christmas yeah. is about <laughs> redemption it is and you didn't know about it because you don't watch any christmas movies <laughs> i'm being introduced to this where maybe maybe not winning you over to this <laughs> genre <laughs> i thought it was interesting because it was kind of um, you know, how do you change someone? A, can they change? Does anybody ever really change? And Clint, the main character um, who they're trying to change, um, is stamped and unredeemable because he believes that people don't change. And he believes that kind of personally about himself, but also professionally because he is kind of a communications person who his job is to like sow discord online in order to get people elected or sell whatever his client is trying to sell. And so he's like, no, this is what people are like. At bottom, they're selfish, they're lazy, they want to be right, they want to feel good about themselves, they're tribal, and so hate and outrage is how you make things happen. And so I kind of thought it was interesting that they were like, okay, the way that you change someone is you got to confront them with their own life and their own self and that that will be the transformational moment and that if you can make that happen, then that's it for life. Now they'll be good but then it also kind of undercuts that and asks those questions about, well, hang on, you don't then wake up and have a bad day? Well, it kind of addresses like, that at the end where it starts to say, mm. look, it isn't just about being entirely a new person. You're going to have your moments and but just start, you know, just start trying and step in the right direction. And, and that comes, as you say, from being confronted with their worst day really. And that that was interesting to me the way they kind of brought them into a scene that represented their the worst thing they've ever done and the you know the implications of all that and the way they felt powerless against that but then they take them on this journey to sort of maybe you can sort of 
make up for it with small steps. But the, the view in some ways of human nature is very New Testament. We need something outside of ourselves to, to make that change. Tell me more about that. I want to hear more. Well, I mean, Christmas is all about that, right? So this notion that we, we can't do it ourselves. We need something to come to us from outside. And that's entirely what Christmas is about, actually, this sort of this moment where God comes to us in this incredible moment of self-giving so that we can be actually helped in a way that probably we're not going to be able to do just by trying harder, which is the sort of the message by the end of this film, I thought. Did you think that or, mm. or not? Yeah, it was kind of a mixed message there. Like I thought it, it was in some ways quite subtle and quite like, oh, this is complicated mm. because as you're saying that, I was like, well, yeah, because it's also it's a redemption that's unsought. Like Clint doesn't want to be no. redeemed. Neither did Scrooge in the first one. He was perfectly happy or, you know, thought he was as he was. So that kind of unsolicited grace and redemption right. that's kind of coming in. But then they have to accept it. They have to want it in the end. That's quite Christmassy. Yeah. I feel like this film, it's almost like a camera that has to shift into focus every time a new thing enters the picture. So at some points it feels like it's in focus, as in it's in alignment with, I guess, what we would call the beats of the Christmas story. But then it goes out of focus as well when it starts to do the whole try harder, pull your bootstraps up, you know, like <laughs> you can make it happen. But it was a really strange mix and I quite liked it actually because it in my, my overall impression was that how can something be so weirdly thoroughly Christian and yet not exactly know it? But then I think that this is what mm. this film is, weirdly, even if it does have those um, parts where it wanders off the track. Yeah, and I thought it was in some ways what the story that it presents is of redemption, of transformation, but there's no place for atonement really. Like there's kind of talk about maybe they'll go and make amends, like they'll go and do good from here, but how do you pay for like, all the mm. bad stuff you've done. And Will Ferrell's character kind of raises that. Like he's like, how can I, what do I do about all these bridges I've burned and these wounds that I've caused? Um, and I was, I was thinking about it last week. I read an article about the British politician, Matt Hancock, who went on a celebrity, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, reality TV show. So, and he said that he was looking for some kind of forgiveness because he was public health secretary during the pandemic and he broke the rules and he made these decisions that, you know, a lot of people wow. suffered because it's not of, quite the confession. Which I mean, booth. going on a reality <laughs> show, I know, to look for forgiveness and redemption. But the article was a bit like, well, maybe he kind of did and they talked about him doing like they kept voting for him to do these terrible ordeal challenges eat these awful things and stuff and he did them and he did them well and that that kind of won people over and I was a bit like in what sense is is that paying for yeah. anything but, that you did wrong but does, that's a very human thing though that we want to kind of punish ourselves in order to mm. make up for things we've done whereas Christmas is all about we've talked about grace and this mm. sort of giftedness of of that so that not only you're not able to pay for those wrongs but you don't have to either yeah although it's not that they go away it's that someone else has had to pay for them yeah and that's what well we'll get to our easter episode. yes that's right stay tuned <laughs> Easter's coming we'll get on to easter film soon <laughs> it sounds like we've got to the point where spirited perhaps like violent night might not be immediate additions to the Christmas movie kind of classic list. But it does have some interesting and perhaps surprisingly theological things to say about Christmas and about humans.
So that's life and faith for 2022 with me, Simon Smart, with Justine Toe and Natasha Moore. Thanks so much for joining us for this end of year chat about what makes a good Christmas movie and we hope you find a good one to watch this year. Now as we wrap it up, I just wanted to ask you guys, did you have a favourite episode this year as we end 2022? Oh, good question. Um, Obviously, so many. The one that comes to mind immediately, maybe just because it was a lot of fun for us as a team, was doing the episode on the Enneagram <laughs> um, because we got to do the Enneagram test and our producer, Al, did it with We're us. Still untangling that all was of really that, fun. those findings. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the threads, the ripple effects. Mm. I have to admit, I am biased, obviously, because I did this interview, but um, talking to Alex Gaffigan about Antarctica, and then it wasn't just about Antarctica, but it was almost like how to survive isolation and what did Antarctica teach her about surviving in isolation. I thought that was really interesting and I loved what she had to say about seeing the night sky and almost feeling like you could fall out into space. Like I thought that was really vivid and, and beautiful. You had a bunch of wilderness ones this yes. year. How about you, Simon? It's hard for me to go past the first episode of the year, which was all about Danny and Layla Abdullah and their mighty act of forgiveness. I've been recovering ever since, but that was very affecting. So thanks so much for listening this year. We love doing Life and Faith. We hope you've enjoyed it too, and we hope you have a wonderful Christmas. We'll see you again next year.